let's talk about gaslighting. Gaslighting at its core is a form of manipulation. It's present in all abusive relationships and it can be categorised as emotional abuse, psychological abuse and coercive control. Gaslighting is designed to confuse you and to cause you to question your perception of events, your opinions, your memory, your intelligence, your worth as a human being and your entire reality. Eventually, gaslighting can even cause you to start feeling deeply unsure about your mental health and even your sanity. It's common for victim survivors of continual gaslighting to wonder if they're actually the cause of the problem. I work regularly with clients who, even years after separation, may still be struggling with their recollection of events, memories that have been manipulated by their abusive ex-partner, and they can be struggling to piece together the fact that they were deeply manipulated for many, many years. Older children and teenagers can sometimes be a bit more immune to gaslighting from abusive parents, and this can then lead to increased tension and conflict between the abusive controlling parent and children as the children get older. Older children may start to resist or refuse to spend time with an abusive parent, and they might talk about the parent as being a liar. Controlling and abusive people gaslight others. This can take various forms. It can look like pathological lying about events, even if there's proof of what the reality actually is. They will accuse you of lying, of having a vivid imagination, being confused, or telling you that you're crazy, paranoid, or hormonal. Something that can be really confusing with a controlling abuser, and this tends to be more common with abusers who have traits consistent with one or more personality disorders, is that they can lie about events that it just doesn't seem to make sense to lie about. So on the face of it, most of us could understand why an abusive person might lie about the part that they've played in an argument or a serious altercation. You can understand on some level why they're lying to try and get out of it and escape any sort of responsibility or accountability. But abusers, again, this is more common with personality disordered abusers, can also lie about things that it just seems to make absolutely zero sense to lie about. So, for example, the town that they grew up in, what they had for breakfast, those sorts of things that when you discover the truth can be mind-boggling really why they've lied about it. Gaslighting can also look like minimizing your thoughts and feelings, such as telling you that you're overreacting, telling you to calm down, accusing you of being too sensitive, or accusing you of not having a sense of humor. They essentially lead you to distrust your own thoughts and feelings. They can lead you to wonder whether maybe you are too sensitive, whether maybe you don't have a sense of humor, maybe you are overreacting. This is what gaslighting does. It causes you to doubt your reality, to doubt your perception of things, to doubt your own thoughts and feelings and memories and responses. Gaslighting can also look like blame shifting, and this involves the abusive person justifying their behavior by saying that they only behave the way that they do because of something that you're saying or doing. So for example, they might say something like, I wouldn't have to yell at you if you actually listened to me. Gaslighting can also take the form of distracting you. 
And this is another tactic used to continue the manipulation. The actual topic will get so distorted and twisted that you may or may not realize that the abuser has actually successfully thrown you and the conversation completely off course to the point that you might now be confused about what the actual original disagreement was actually about. This isn't just in in in-person conversations or arguments. If you're co-parenting with an abuser, this can also commonly happen even in written communication where you will raise a particular problem and instead of actually addressing that problem with you directly, you will instead receive just a barrage of word salad, a war and peace size text message that has very little to do with what your message may have been about. Very, very common. And again, that's even more common when we're talking about an abuser who has traits consistent with one or more personality disorders. Gaslighting can also look like discrediting and triangulating you. For example, when talking to other people, they might pretend that they're worried about you and might also tell others that they're concerned that maybe you're emotionally unstable, that you don't seem to be coping very well. They're worried that you're paranoid or crazy, hormonal or menopausal. They can also use genuine or totally fabricated mental health concerns against you, such as anxiety, depression, postnatal depression, ADHD, Literally anything can be either completely fabricated by these people or a genuine diagnosis can be blown completely out of proportion and used to make you look unstable to other people and it can be turned against you to for you to even then question your own sanity and fears of being unstable. This tactic can be effective, unfortunately, if you're not prepared for it and if you're not sure how to deal with it. You may have already found that some people in your life have been conned by your abusive ex-partner without really knowing the full story. Someone who engages in gaslighting behavior is also highly likely to lie to you and tell you that other people believe certain things about you or have said certain things to them about you. So, for example, your abusive ex might say something like, oh, I was chatting to your mum and she's really worried about you too, you know. Or if they bump into somebody that you're friends with or the parent of one of your kids' school friends, again, it could be that same dynamic. Oh, I was chatting to Sally and, yeah, she said a few interesting things. Now, The reality is that whoever's mentioned by the abusive person may never have said anything about you at all. That whole conversation could be a complete lie. However, the person who's gaslighting you will make every attempt to get you to believe their narrative. If the abusive person's personality disordered, there's a chance again that they've completely made up this interaction or... If the interaction actually occurred, there's also a good chance that they have completely misinterpreted what was said, are misquoting what was said. And because they have very little capacity for empathy and very little insight into how other people perceive them, they're often way off base with how the other person perceived that conversation. So they may say that they bumped into your mum or Sally or you know, whoever, 
and that that person seemed really concerned about you or, you know, they will lead you to think that you were being discussed and they'll want you to be worried about what was said. The reality could be that that other person that they were talking to was totally weirded out by the conversation and just wanted to get away from your ex. So it's really important that you don't immediately buy into what they're saying. In saying that, there are definitely some things that I help clients with in order to help them navigate these situations. Gaslighting can also manifest as triangulating, and this is where an abuser attempts to get other third parties involved in an attempt to try and manipulate and exploit the narrative that you're the problem. So it's kind of building on what I was just talking about previously in terms of the the discrediting and making up conversations in an attempt to get you worried. They can also genuinely triangulate, so involve a, a third party. This can be just simply to try and convince other people that there's something wrong with you, that you're the problem, that they're the victim and that you're really the abuser. So they'll commonly have a narrative to their own family and friends, for example. This is what you're doing to them, and they just can't cope, and they don't know why you're behaving this way, all of those sorts of things. They may then also try to attempt to, I mean, they can do this to your family members as well. So it's important that you're aware of this, even if they don't have a good relationship with your family members or friends or have never communicated really with them in the past. It's not uncommon at all for your friends or family members to start getting random text messages or phone calls out of the blue from an abuser. Again, this does tend to be a little bit more common when we're talking about a personality disordered abuser. They then try and use these relationships to abuse you essentially by proxy. So trying to get the other person to act on their behalf. They want the other person to get involved. They want the other person to contact you and to say, oh, look, why are you doing this to him? He just doesn't understand it. He seems really upset. I'm actually really worried about him. He just wants to see the kids. You know, why are you limiting his time with the kids? It's just not fair. So with this, you know, you imagine a triangle, you know, that's what triangulating is. There's you, there's your abusive ex, and then there's the third third party, the other person who's been drawn into this. The abusers worked really, really hard to get their narrative off the ground and Unfortunately, they can sometimes be very believable and to make out that that you're to blame. Now, there's issues with this because it's not just going to be friends and family members that they target. They can also target the therapists or doctors of your children. They can target your kids' teachers, the principal your co-workers or boss, their attempt to infiltrate your world and how other people perceive you, the lengths that some people can go to are really quite incredible. Again, going to lengths on that scale tends to be a lot more likely when we're talking about a person who's got traits consistent with a personality disorder. And there are things that you can do to protect against this sort of behavior and to help you navigate this sort of behavior if and when it happens. That's something that I do support clients with depending on their own specific situation. 
They can also use love as a weapon and as an attempt to try and smooth things over when they're gaslighting you. So for example, they may say something like, oh, but you know how much I love you. I can't believe you'd think that I would do that on purpose. That sort of thing's obviously more common when you're in a relationship with the person, although this can still happen after separation. It's not uncommon for an abusive person to try and win you back genuinely. They want the relationship to get back on track or they really have no intention of of wanting to get back to you or, you know, it's not a genuine emotion, but they're wanting to confuse you. They're actually wanting to throw you off balance by telling you that they still love you, by telling you that, you know, oh, I wish you'd reconsider getting back again. Could be a complete lie or it could be genuine, but either way, it's used as a means to gain and maintain control over you. They can also say things like, I'm really worried about you. I'm concerned about how you're coping, those sorts of things. Being really, really condescending and it's designed to have you, you know, obviously doubt yourself. They can also say things like, I just want the best for you. I'd never hurt you on purpose. You know that. I don't understand how you could possibly think that of me. Being in a relationship with someone who often doesn't acknowledge thoughts, feelings or beliefs can lead to you then questioning your thoughts, feelings and beliefs as well. And if that was a dynamic within the relationship, that dynamic doesn't stop just because the relationship ends. Personality disordered abusers and non-disordered abusers can lead you to really never feel validated or understood. And it's something that can be extremely isolating. Again, not just within the context of a romantic relationship, but also after separation. Ultimately, you feeling isolated and maybe even sometimes ashamed of the situation that you found yourself in makes it even easier for them to control and manipulate you even further. So if if you've separated from a partner, you're navigating co-parenting, maybe there's already lawyers involved or, or you know, you're in the court process, it really is in your best interest to ensure that you've got high quality support with that because this dynamic often doesn't stop anytime soon. Waiting for your ex to change in order for you to feel better and in order for your life to be better, our life changes when we take action. Sitting around waiting for for your ex to change is just going to lead to you sitting around hoping for the best. If you're sitting around waiting for your ex to change before you can start feeling better, it's time for you to start taking back your power and control. And for my clients, that became possible for them once they started working with me. They got a plan in place and we started working together in a really solution-focused way on what they were wanting to achieve. So now that we've spoken a bit about what gaslighting is and how it can show up in that dynamic between us and either a partner or an ex-partner or really in any relationship that we have with another person, let's now have a chat about what we can do about it. Importantly, we first need to recognise that we can't control the behaviour of other people. We can't control their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, their beliefs, their values, their attitudes, the things that are underpinning why they behave the way that they do, why they're gaslighting you in the first place. 
And this is why you taking action is so important because if there's someone in your world who is gaslighting you on a regular or semi-regular basis, if that's part of the way that they manipulate you, if that's an enduring behavior pattern from them, that's likely never going to change in terms of the way that they're choosing to behave. So waiting around, hoping that they eventually get what's going on and stop doing it is really not the best approach. We see change in our world, in our lives, when we take action. So when someone's gaslighting you, when you're in the situation and you recognize what's happening, if you feel safe and comfortable to do so in that conversation, and again, if you, you may not, if you're in person with that person or if you're on the phone, and that's okay. This is a process. If this is someone who's been abusive to you in a whole manner of different ways, it's perfectly understandable that you may not feel comfortable or confident initially having that conversation with them in any way that is direct, so a phone call or in person. But this is where you could say something like, I'm finding it hard to have this conversation with you right now. Let's take a break and discuss it later and exit yourself from that situation. So exiting yourself from a situation when you realize that you're being gaslit by someone, if it's an in-person conversation or a phone call and you don't feel comfortable addressing this directly with that person. Even if you do feel comfortable addressing it more deeply with that person, the reality is that abusers aren't going to take responsibility for anything. So it's important that if you choose to address things on a deeper level, and we'll cover that in a moment, it's important that you make space for the fact that the person who is gaslighting you is likely not going to acknowledge their behavior or take any responsibility for it. They're just going to continue to gaslight you. So the things that I'm going to suggest in terms of what you should say, it's not about convincing them of what they're doing. It's about you creating boundaries and making change for yourself. And that can be one of the most difficult things about being in a relationship with someone who is abusive, even post-separation with someone who is abusive, particularly if you have to co-parent with that person. One of the most challenging things can be their endless denials of responsibility for literally anything and everything. That's something that we have to radically accept and manage our expectations around. If you feel comfortable going a little bit more deeply with this, and or if this is a text message conversation, for example, you might feel comfortable saying or writing something like, if you continue to minimize and dismiss my thoughts, feelings, or, or opinions, I can no longer have this conversation with you, or words to that effect. You might say, or again, write, we have different viewpoints, but I know that I'm not imagining things, or words to that effect. You might say or write, your thoughts, feelings, and opinions are valid, and mine are equally valid. You might say, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with this discussion, 
let's take a break and come back to it later. You might say or text or email, calling me names isn't productive. When you're responding to gaslighting, it's also really helpful to speak in a calm voice with calm body language, keeping in mind that your goal is not to convince the other person of anything. You're not trying to convince them that they're being abusive. You're not trying to convince them that they're gaslighting you. You're setting a boundary. And boundaries really aren't so much for them as they are for you. What I mean by that is that you're putting a line in the sand that you're not going to continue the conversation whilst the conversation is going along the path that it is. So, for example with your thoughts, opinions, feelings being completely minimised or distorted. Now, they may likely still continue to push ahead with that conversation or try to gaslight you further in order to keep engaging with you. So you can't set a boundary and expect that they're going to respect that boundary. They're an abuser, okay? They're not respecting boundaries. They tend to actually see boundaries as being very insulting, And they're going to continue again and again and again to keep trying to draw you in and to gain and maintain that control. Boundaries are for you. Boundaries are your line in the sand. So when you say, this conversation doesn't seem to be going anywhere, let's revisit this, you know, tomorrow, next week, or you might say, I'll get in touch with you a bit later and we can continue the conversation at another point in time. Your job is to stay firm with that and to then exit yourself from that conversation completely, not to expect them to exit themselves from the conversation. It's important to actually remove yourself from the conversation if you say that that's what's going to happen. So, for example, in using the suggestion of saying something like, we're not getting anywhere with this conversation, let's come back to it another time, You then need to either follow through with removing yourself from that physical location, from the conversation, end the phone call. So, for example, if you're on the phone and you're saying, we're not getting anywhere with this conversation, let's discuss it at another time. I hope you have a great day. Bye. And then you hang up the phone. Again, all of this is very specific to the context of who it is that you're speaking with, what it is that you're speaking about all of those sorts of things. So you can understand that this is why one-on-one coaching or even group coaching can be a really effective way at learning how to manage these things, learning how to put in place boundaries when, when you're recognizing that you're being gaslit because everybody's situation is somewhat unique and there's not generally one you know cookie-cutter approach to everything. But I've shared with you a few things that you could say or write or even a combination of them. But getting to a place where you actually feel comfortable saying those things or doing those things or comfortable even setting boundaries can be a real process. And that's part of the support that I offer my clients, helping them to get to that point where they're able to put those boundaries in place. We discuss what those boundaries need to be what they actually look like on a practical level. And then we work on the feelings that come up, the emotions, the thoughts, the nervous system responses, when they're putting those boundaries in place. Because oftentimes putting boundaries in place 
with someone who's controlling and abusive, that doesn't feel great. And it cannot feel great for a while. And it's important that we put those in place and have support while we're putting those in place because if you wait to feel great about putting boundaries in place, you are going to be left waiting for a really long time. And that's not what I want for you. Working with someone like me, a specialist, separation, divorce and protective parenting coach, that might not be the path that's right for you necessarily, but you might have another trusted person in your world who doesn't dismiss your thoughts and feelings, who validates your viewpoints, your feelings, your opinions, who can be a great support person to help you whilst you're putting in place some healthy boundaries with someone who's gaslighting you. And again, we always have to come back to safety. People who are controlling, people who are abusive, don't like losing control. And it's really important that you prioritize the safety of yourself and the safety of any children that you might share with that person. And this means that setting boundaries in person with someone that might not be the right approach for you, depending on the dynamics of your situation. I hope you found this episode on gaslighting informative and helpful. I'll talk to you soon. You thought you knew, but you didn't have a clue, clue, clue. If you're looking for more information and resources to help you understand post-separation abuse and the person who's perpetrating it, I've got you covered. In the general information section of this podcast, you'll find a direct link that will enable you to download your very own post-separation abuse checklist and workbook. If you need extra support to navigate your own situation, the best support of all is to work with me one-on-one or in the group membership that I offer. Keep going, you're doing a great job, and we are stronger and braver together. I'll talk to you soon.